does that mean that you have to join the membership of our church? But if you have been thinking about it, we do invite you to join us next Sunday after the morning service. This week, we're going to be starting a new series through the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to the book of Philippians. The title for our series is Joyful, the Christ-like mind that brings about Christian living. The book of Philippians, or rather the letter of Philippians, it wasn't a book, but it was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, was written while Paul was in a Roman prison. It was one of the four prison epistles or prison letters that Paul wrote to different churches which he had helped found and served at. And for any of you, any of you who have been in church for any length of time or have heard a message or a series on Philippians, we know that the theme of Philippians is that of joy. The word joy is found 20 times in the book of Philippians. Yet as we look throughout this letter, there's an even more prominent theme, and that is Jesus Christ. While joy is found 20 times, the name of Jesus is found 21 times. So as we go through this book together and see how we can be joyful and see how that joy comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at how to be a Christ-empowered church. But before we begin this morning in Philippians chapter 1, I just want to lay some background information so that we are better able to understand the context and the heart behind Paul's letter. See, to understand the joy that Paul has for this church at Philippi, you have to go back to Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, we see Paul on his second missionary journey. And while he's on this second missionary journey, Paul gets a vision. And in this vision, he sees a man from Macedonia who says, we need your help. And so Paul, urged on by the Holy Spirit, then immediately leaves with Silas and Timothy and goes to the region of Macedonia. We see that he travels to different areas of Macedonia and ultimately ends up in the Roman colony of Philippi. As Paul comes to this colony of Philippi, the first thing that Paul does is he goes to the area where he knew people would be at praying. If you look at Paul's ministry of life, this was a normal occurrence for him. He would often be found at synagogues and temples of people speaking to people that he knew were believers of God, but sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul goes to this area where he knows that people will be praying, and we see that the first person that Paul comes across in Philippi is Lydia. And Lydia, the Bible tells us, is a seller of purple. She's a fashionista. She's a merchant businesswoman in today's um, language. We probably say that she was a boutique owner. So Paul comes to Lydia. The Bible says that Lydia was a woman who worshiped God. And we see that as Paul talks to her about Jesus Christ, the Lord opens her heart and Lydia and her family profess faith in Christ. And as you go on down, you see that, that Lydia was so excited about her new faith that she told Paul, listen, come to my house and stay a while. 
So then as we continue to move to Acts chapter 16, after we see this first convert in Lydia, you come and you see a slave girl. This slave girl is possessed by a spirit of divination. In other words, this slave girl, because of the demonic power within her, was able to tell the future or know things that she shouldn't know. And we see that her masters use that to their advantage. Her masters would use her for profit and the people of Philippi would come to this girl and she was basically the local psychic. She was the local fortune teller and they would pay money to the master and this girl would give the, the, the fortune telling to whoever had paid this money. And so this slave girl was following behind Paul and Silas just getting on their nerves. The Bible actually says that there came a point where Paul was greatly annoyed. And we see that Paul turns to this slave girl and he speaks to the demon that is inside of her and he tells the demon to come out in the name of Jesus. And the demon immediately comes out and this girl is delivered and she is transformed by the name of Jesus Christ. See, but the problem was that when the master saw that this, this spirit of divination was no longer in their slave girl, they no longer had a profit stream. Their revenues dried up. And so being irritated and angry with Paul, they grab Paul and Silas and they drag them to the Roman authorities that are there in Philippi. And the Roman authorities beat Paul and Silas and then they throw them into the Philippian jail. And this is where we see Paul's encounter that a lot of you probably know of with the Philippian jailer. We see that while Paul and Silas are in this Philippian jail, that at midnight they're praying and singing to God. Praying and singing to God. They've just been beaten. They've just been jailed. Yet in the middle of it all, in the middle of this suffering, you know, Philippians, the, the, you know, it's about joy and suffering. And Paul was somebody that knew all about that. When he could have been crying, he could have been like, man, we should have never came here. He's praying to God and he's singing hymns and the prisoners hear him and we see that an earthquake comes and shakes that prison and the doors bust open and the shackles break off. And through a turn of events, the prison guard, the Philippian jailer who was there, comes to the feet of Paul and Silas and asks that question that we all wish that we could hear. What must I do to be saved? Listen, there's no easier way to evangelize than somebody just coming up to you and saying, listen, what do I need to do to be saved? Well, there was a reason for that. It was because they saw the, the, they, they saw the joy that Paul and Silas had in the midst of suffering. But not only that, they saw the power that was behind Paul and Silas because of the personal work of Christ. So this third convert that we see is the Philippian jailer. We see that the Philippian jailer and his family come to faith in Christ and are baptized. And the next morning, the Roman authorities come to Paul and Silas and tell them that they're free to go. But before they go, you see at the end of chapter 16 that they go back to the house of Lydia, the, the first convert that they had, the lady who invited them to their home. No doubt by this time, Lydia's house served as the local church for Philippi that I'm sure that as Paul and Silas went there, that not only was Lydia's family there, but probably that slave girl was there, and most likely the Philippian jailer was there. And we see that before Paul departs from Philippi, the Bible says that he encourages the church there at Philippi. As we hear the humble beginnings of the Philippian church, 
the one thing I want us to recognize is that there was unity brought to them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was studying, I saw one theologian say that when Jewish men would pray in the morning, there was three things they would pray to God that they were thankful for. They would say, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not a woman. I'm thankful that I'm not a slave. And I'm thankful that I'm not a Gentile. You know, as we look at this Philippian church, we see that it was a woman, a slave, and a Gentile that God used to start this church here at Philippi. Consider with me, who are the charter members of this church? They were comprised of different nationalities. We know that Lydia would have been of Asian descent. This slave girl would have been a native Greek, and the Philippian jailer would have been a Roman. They came from different economic classes. Lydia, being a businesswoman, would have been a woman who had wealth. This slave girl, she was a slave, so we know that she was poor, and this Philippian jailer would have been your average blue-collar worker. They come from different religious backgrounds. Lydia was a woman who worshiped God. The slave girl was possessed by a demon, and the Philippian jailer probably had bought into Roman culture and the Roman gods that were there present. Yet, even though they were radically different, even though they came from different socioeconomics and different backgrounds and ethnicities, there was something that brought this group of people together. And it's the same thing that brings us here together this morning. Even as you look out across the room here, we all come from different walks of life. We all come from different backgrounds, but we have the common denominator that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the message that unites us together. No matter our background, no matter our differences, the gospel unites. One preacher said it this way, that in this world, there's only two classes of people. There's saints and there's ants. He says, either you've been born again or you have not. Listen, the gospel transcended all human boundaries and brought this group of misfits in Philippi into a glorious Christ-centered relationship. And as we look at the first 11 verses this morning, the title for our text is Relationships Matter. Relationships Matter. Before we get started, let's say a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day you've given us. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that you have brought here this morning. Lord, I pray that as I present your word, that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would make Jesus big and me little, Lord. Lord, I pray that Christ would be exalted, he would be honored, he would be glorified. I pray that I would be faithful to the text. I pray that you would open the hearts and minds, that the power of your word would transform, that there's nobody here today that knows you as Savior, that they would come to that saving knowledge of you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 11. Philippians 1, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests 
with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Relationships matter. In 1973, there was an article written titled The Lonesome Road. In this article, the, the, the person that wrote it said, loneliness is a sort of modern monster. The primitive monsters used to live under gloomy lakes and come out to attack men in the dark of night. Loneliness lurks in the depths of modern man's heart and comes out in the dark night of his soul. The assumption is it attacks only the weak, the fat, the failing, the foolish, while others claim to be exempt. They're lying. Nobody is immune to the monster's depredations. Loneliness is as common to us all as birth or death. But of all these taboos, it is perhaps the last to go. We have all known it, but we don't like admitting it. Nevertheless, we are all born alone, we die alone, we dream alone. Most of us work alone in one way or another. Living is primarily and ultimately solitary. Loneliness is a universal monster. It's no surprise to anybody in here that we suffer a pandemic of loneliness in society today. Even more so coming out of the COVID-19 where we were isolated and we were cut off from one another. Loneliness was at unprecedented high suicide rates because of loneliness. And the crazy part is we live in a day in a society where everybody is so connected. We have access to our cell phones where we can speak to anybody anywhere in the world. We have social media. Yet while we are so connected at the same time, Society has never been so disconnected. Relationships are important parts of our lives. Listen, everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs somebody that they can go to in times of trouble. And you need to be somebody that people can come to in times of trouble as well when they need help. You know, as we look at God's design, God designed us to live and community with one another. He designed us. Humans are tribal beings. We exist to, we exist and we long for community. We long for relationships. And God's design is for us to have good, godly relationships. You know, there is no such thing as sola Christianity. There is no such thing as being a Christian and doing life on your own. This is a lie that Satan would love for you to believe, that you don't need the church, that you don't need to be around other believers, that as long as you have you and your relationship with Jesus, that everything is going to be okay. 
However, we see in 1 Peter 5, 8 that Peter says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. For those of you who have watched Nat Geo or Animal Planet, when a lion is prowling around and looking for its prey, who does it normally go after? It normally goes after the ones that are isolated away from the herd. It doesn't go into the middle of a herd and attack the ones that are, that are protected by everybody else. And the same is true with Satan and Christians. When you isolate yourself, when you don't have Christ-centered relationships in your life, you are prone to the attacks of the devil. Listen, Christianity is not a soul sport. We know in Hebrews 10.25, the writer tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. What he says is, listen, don't make little of gathering together as a body of believers, as coming together to, to worship together, to edify one another, to lift each other up. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. You know, we're supposed to be a family. We call each other brothers and sisters of Christ. We say that this is the family of God, yet oftentimes we don't act like it, especially in the modern Christian church. We've got so far away from that idea of community and deep relationships. We come Sunday morning and give each other, you know, a handshake and a head nod and don't hear from or know of the affairs of our brothers and sisters until the next Sunday. But as we look at the early church, we see that it was nothing like that. If you go to Acts 2.42, you see how tight the early church was. And so as we look at this passage in Philippians this morning, what I want us to see is the relationship that is modeled between Paul and the Philippian church. And by looking at this relationship, I want to encourage and challenge us to have meaningful Christ-centered relationships. We're going to just start in verse 3, and we're just going to walk down through verse 11 together. And in these seven or eight verses, we're going to see four marks of a Christ-centered relationship. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me again. Verse 3 and 4, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Christ-centered relationships bring joy. Listen, Paul, even at the thought of the Philippian church, when they crossed his mind, he immediately thanked the Lord for them. And that, that thankfulness turned into prayer. And Paul says that that prayer was a prayer full of joy as he thought about his brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi. One person said happiness is based on happenings, but joy comes from relationships. Listen, verse 3 through 4 is the litmus test for Christ-centered relationships. At the foundation of all Christ-centered relationships, at the base, if you go down into the root of this relationship, there should be overwhelming joy. We should be joyful. We should be excited to be around one another. Yet sadly, we all know that is not always the case. Sadly, in many churches today, when you think of others in your congregation, rather than being joyful and excited and thankful for the people that God has brought into your life, 
we dread even coming in contact with them because our relationships are full of strife, our relationships are full of animosity. When we come to church together, we do all that we can to avoid certain people because we just don't want anything to do with them. Our brother and sister in Christ, that is. You know, and as Joy said, as Paul says that he's thankful and joyful as he thinks of the Philippian church, the one thing I want you to remember too is that as Paul writes this, he's sitting in a Roman jail. He's sitting in a Roman jail awaiting trial, possibly death, and he's thinking of this church, and this church is bringing joy to him. Think about how much they truly meant to Paul for in the midst of his suffering and the lowest times of his life, that this, just the thought of them brought overwhelming joy to his life. But then as we come to verse 5, Paul then frames the reason for his joy and thankfulness. In verse 5, we see why he was so joyful at their thought. Look with me. Verse 5, the Bible says, or actually, I'm going to go back to 4, then we'll go into 5. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That word fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia is being in agreement with one another, being united in purpose, and serving alongside each other. So listen, so now when we have that understanding, what Paul is saying in verse 5 is that the reason I'm thankful, the reason that I am joyful when I think of you is because of your partnership in the gospel. Christ-centered relationships result in gospel partnership. Listen, they had given Paul a reason to be joyful. Paul's joy is not found merely in the fact that these are fellow believers. It's not found in, Paul's not thinking of Philippi. He's like, man, they had some good food when I was there. Man, that city was so beautiful. Or, man, they were even so nice to me. No, Paul says, when I think of you, there's joy that comes to me because of our partnership. Because we were co-laborers. Some of you may know what Paul is talking about if you work a job with other people. I know that oftentimes in our jobs, there's a lot of people that we may not be able to stand. But sometimes there's that one coworker who you just kind of get and they kind of get you. And with this coworker, a bond is created. I think of the last job I worked at when I was in Jacksonville. I was... But I had a partner, and he didn't have much choice but to like me and me to like him because we were stuck with each other in the truck for 10 to 12 hours a day. <laughs> but because of, because of, because we were co-laborers, because we were co-workers, we had the same mission, and we had the same, we had the same goal in mind, and that was get done and go home. There was a bond that was created over time. Paul saw the Philippians as co-workers, which brought him great joy. Listen, you have a different relationship with coworkers than you do with customers. For those of you who have worked in retail or have worked a job where you deal with customers, you understand this. That oftentimes customers bring grief and annoyance to your life. Oftentimes customers, you just want them to go away. However, like I said, when you have that one coworker there that, that you can get through the day with, there's a, there's a difference between that coworker and that customer. But as we evaluate our churches today, maybe the reason that there's a lack of joy within our churches or a lack of joy within the body is because the leadership and the membership of the congregation 
views those who are in the church as an audience of customers to please rather than a group of co-workers. Listen, it's hard to be joyful in gospel partnership when everything is about what makes me happy. What makes, how can I make sure I don't upset that person? How can I make sure I don't ruffle the wrong feathers? But rather, when your co-workers are not worrying about that, you're pushing forward, you're advancing the mission of the gospel. Listen, God has created us so that we cannot successfully accomplish his will on our own. Rather, we enter into fellowship with believers. We become a part of a team. I know that over the, over the past year, that's a word that has been repeated and tried to be woven into the identity of the church here, is that we are a team. We're on the same team. There's no reason to fight with one another. We have the same goal. We have the same purpose. And that's to grow in Christ and to see people reached for Christ. In an interview, a businessman was asked, how many employees are there at your job? He replied, very few. If someone asked that about our church here this morning, what would the reply be? In many cases, in many churches around America, the answer is very few. And this is the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule that often 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. But Paul looks at this Philippian church and he says, that's not the case. He says, that he says in verse 27, he says that when I think of this Philippian church, I know that we were striving together for the faith of the gospel. There was a partnership that was established. We were both working towards the same goal. And then if you look ahead to verse 7, Paul explains to us what that gospel partnership looks like. In verse 7 he says, Even as it, as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Listen, he says, Insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. Paul says that this gospel partnership that he had established with the church at Philippi was centered on two things. This gospel partnership was centered on friendship and mission. Paul says, you were with me in my bonds, or you were with me in my chain. They were with Paul when he was imprisoned. The Philippian church had not only been a friend of Paul, but they had been a friend to Paul. When the Philippian believers had heard that Paul was imprisoned in, in Rome, they sent Epaphroditus, who was probably the pastor of the church there at Philippi, to minister to Paul. Epaphroditus went and he personally comforted Paul in the middle of his suffering, but not only did he comfort him through his presence, we see that, that the Philippian church also sent a financial gift along with Epaphroditus, in order for Paul's stay in prison to be made more comfortable. There's three times before, twice when Paul was in Thessalonica, and once when he was at Corinth, where the saints also ministered to his needs. They were with him in his chains. They were friends of Paul. Listen, gospel partnerships are compassionate friendships. Compassionate friendships. Know the difference between compassion and sympathy. Sympathy says thoughts and prayers. Compassion says, what can I do to help? 
How can I step up? How can I make a difference? How can I meet the need that is there? Compassion, I've heard it said this way, compassion is your hurt in my heart. Listen, when we hear the need of a brother and sister in Christ, our hearts should groan with them, but we should also not just groan and sympathize for them, but we should be moved to compassion and these Christ-centered relationships and say, how can I help? What can I do? Is there some way that I can help you? And even if that way is only prayer, there's something that we can all do. Listen, understand that this relationship that Paul had with the Philippian church was not a surface level relationship like many Christians have today, but rather this was a deep bond. This was, this was a love that Christ said was like the love and the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul said, not only did you partner with me in my chains, but you also partnered with me in furthering the gospel. He says in defense and confirmation of the gospel. Gospel partnerships keep the main thing, the main thing. Gospel partnerships. Listen, the Philippian church knew that evangelism and the Great Commission was not only for Paul. Paul saw that the Philippian church evidently was growing. They were reaching people. And as he thought about this church, as he's being thankful for them, he's joyful for them, he's thinking of their gospel partnership. He says, you know, I'm not there anymore, but I'm thankful that they have continued and the work that started, Paul says, that, that they continued from the day that it began. The Philippian church was known by Paul for remaining on mission. Joy in Christ-centered relationships is not based on us having the same hobbies. Joy in Christ-centered relationships is not because we went to the same schools, it's not even because we go to the same church. We don't find joy in Christ in the relationships because we vote for the same politicians. But we find joy in Christ-centered relationships when, and knowing that our brothers and sisters in Christ are faithfully serving God. Joy comes when I see the work that Christ has done in you. But not only that, I am joyful when I see the work that Christ is now doing through you. Listen, I, I even think in the last seven or eight months in which I've been here, our church has been through a lot. But in the last several months, there have been some of you who have stepped up in ways that are unimaginable. And I can say like Paul, that it brings joy and thankfulness when I think of you of knowing that in times of need, that you step to the plate and knowing that you're not just a, 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 a watcher of what's going on, but you're participating in the work that is happening and knowing that we are gospel partners. Gospel partners. Christ-centered relationships bring joy. Christ-centered relationships result in gospel partnership where there is friendship and there is mission. And then in verse 5 and 6, we see that Christ-centered relationships encourage one another. Verse 5 and 6, Paul says, at the, or sorry, at the end of verse 5, he says that they remained partners from the first day until now. But then he says, not only have you remained partners from the first day until now, but in verse 6 he says, I am confident of this very thing. He says, I know that he which began a good work in you will perform it 
until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul was probably speaking both corporately and individually to the church. For those of you who were at Bible study Wednesday, we talked about that there is a perfecting that is going on in the life of the believer. That at the moment of salvation, the believer is saved from the penalty of sin. They're saved from the power of sin, and they will be saved from the presence of of sin. So Paul says that I am confident that you will continue to grow in your sanctification, that you will continue to grow in spiritual maturity. But I believe even more so what Paul is saying, listen, remember this is a church that's on mission. This is a church that is gospel-centric. This is a church that is unified and doing what they're supposed to be doing. I think Paul is saying, keep at it. He's saying that God is continue to bless your church, that as long as you keep the main thing the main thing, as long as you remain gospel partners, that God will complete what he has started there. I've heard it said that encouragement is easy, it's rare, and it's powerful. You know, we need to ask ourselves the question, myself included, do we encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ? And I know that I can answer that even if that is yes, probably not enough. You know, rather than tearing each other down, rather than gossiping about one another and talking about how he should have did this and she should have done that. Listen, we need to edify one another and build each other up and encourage each other because we are on the same team. First Thessalonians, Paul says to comfort each other and edify one another. Listen, encouragement is oxygen to the soul. The thing is, you never know how hard it may be for somebody in your church to take a step of faith and serve or to take a step of faith and share the gospel with one of their friends. That person that is out there greeting Sunday morning, what you don't know is that they may have social anxiety and it took everything within them to stand out there and say good morning to people as they came in. Or that person who you know shares their faith with their friends a lot. You might not know that, that maybe they have a speech impediment. Maybe they struggle with stuttering. And every time that they're about to share their faith, they're worried that they're going to get stuck on their words. And that person may feel defeated. They may feel down. They may be discouraged. So encourage them. Listen, when you see somebody doing something that should be applauded, applaud. Tell them you're doing a good job. Tell them to keep it up. You know, when they think that nobody cares, when they think that nobody notices, show them that you do. One doctor wrote on his medical career, he said, I found that friendship, fellowship, and encouragement lifted a person's morale. Encouragement, be it physical or spiritual, is the most powerful and useful tonic in any medical book. Christ-centered relationships encourage one another. And then the last thing we'll see in verse 9 through 11 is that Christ-centered relationships lift each other in prayer. Look at verse 9 through 11 with me. Paul says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. 
Without having time to explain this prayer in detail, basically what Paul is saying is that I pray that you would grow in spiritual maturity and righteousness so that you will be pure and blameless before Jesus. Having already expressed his love for the Philippian church and his thankfulness for their partnership in the gospel, Paul then shares this prayer for their Christian growth. You know, and what I find interesting about this prayer is that Paul has already told us that they're on mission, that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, that, that, that this church has the, the, the main things, they're keeping the main things, the main things. However, he said that you should continue growing. Listen, don't ever feel like you've got to a point in your Christian walk, whether you're 30 or you're 80, where you have made it. Listen, you haven't made it until you are the same as Jesus Christ. And that is not going to happen here in this life. You know, we got to do, like Paul says, press towards the goal. And that goal is to become like the person of Jesus. Paul understands that even more so than their physical needs, that they need to grow in their spiritual needs. Listen, Paul doesn't pray for their health, wealth, and prosperity. Not that we shouldn't pray for one another's health and things that we're going through in life, but Paul's main purpose, his main thing is that I'm praying that you would grow to know the Lord more and more. Do you have friends that pray for you in that way? You have friends who take your name before the Lord and lift you up that challenge you to grow in spiritual maturity. You know, the question or the answer is if you are a part of a church, if you are a part of a body of believers, you should. Because Christ in our relationships pray for one another. You know, even on Wednesdays when we meet here, we spend the first half of the day praying for one another trying to bear the burdens of one another, crying with one another, laughing, joyful with one another, being in that community with one another. Listen, as you pray for one another, it will strengthen your relationship with each other. Christ-centered relationships bring joy. Christ-centered relationships result in gospel partnership. They encourage one another, and they lift each other in prayer. So just what I want to tell you this morning, just as you look at this passage, is that relationships matter. Community matters, and even more so relationships within the body of Christ. So as we leave here this morning, I challenge you to either build, if you do not have relationships with other believers, if, if maybe there's somebody in the congregation who you've never really talked to, go to them and start a conversation and get to know that brother, get to know that sister. Build the relationships, or if you already have relationships, continue to foster them, continue to grow in them, continue to edify one another, to lift one another, to stay on mission, to challenge each other, because relationships matter. Every head bowed, I suppose. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word, God. God, I pray that as we leave here this morning, Lord, it was a simple yet practical truths that we heard, that we would take it with us, that we would build relationships that are strengthened by the person and work of Christ, that we would recognize the gospel unity that comes within the body, Lord, that we would have deep 
Allah 